Hey legends, my name is Mo and welcome to the Can't Can World podcast. I'm a Royal Marine who is dedicated to optimising human performance and wants to bring you exposure to the fantastic people supporting the same aim. This superstar has experienced more than most. This girl from Devon relives her experiences as a child carer, the situation surrounding the use of a wheelchair and the associated mental ill health she has suffered from but always striving to be better tomorrow than today. Episode 16, Naomi Addy. You've got a commission, so you can just dress how you like. No, you, no, you can't do that. <laughs> I just put it all under the barrow, you see. Hair's, a, hair's horrendous. No, no, it's not like that. Look at you, you look like you're in a call centre. Love it. No, it, it's my what used to be my utility room, which is now my office. So, yeah. So where did you do all your washing then? Oh, so because... We had um, the extension and the kitchen and that all done. So the washing machine's now in the kitchen. So, yeah, this is now the office, but, yeah, it's freezing. <laughs> so I have to constantly have a heater on. <laughs> and then Stephen comes in and is like, it's too bloody warm in here. <laughs> the, eternal, the eternal problem, isn't it, between men and women about yeah, but, yeah but I also have a condition that I can't regulate my body temperature that's so... just I don't take that as an excuse that's not right they cost a fortune <laughs> you know it's May it's May the heating officially gets switched off end of March and is not allowed back on till October at the earliest not interested in your excuses is to put a jumper on I've got I've got a jumper and I have a like I have a blanket and like yeah it's quite Steve it it drives Stephen crazy like it would drive me crazy as well but then you drive everyone crazy so that's that's pretty normal yeah we've been have you been what's going on yeah all right uh working from home (laughs) juggling home and um and homeschooling and full-time job house extension like yeah so this lockdown was like full on um and yeah kind of had a couple mental health flips had a couple health flips and yeah I'm I'm kind of I'm doing all right now I love it how you casually say yeah just had a few (laughs) mental health blips you know as it is but that's but that that is pretty cool though that that I think that you can say it like that do you know what I mean rather than it hiding it I think that's that's a good thing yeah I think I think because previously I hid a lot of my mental health um, because I was kind of, especially when I was in the realms of, you know, getting ready to be medically discharged and stuff, I, I didn't want to admit that I had mental health problems as well as a physical problem. And I really struggled, like it was like two people in a boxing match, like constantly going at each other. And um, I, I hid it. I hid the fact that I was going for treatment. I hid the fact that I was on meds. You know, Stephen would see it all at home, but then I'd become like this different person with everybody else. And it was a real battle. And um, interestingly, it's taken me a very long time. And it actually took me uh, to see a civilian um, therapist who said, why are you treating your mental health any different to your physical health? And it was a real light bulb moment, like for me, because I, I was like, well, what do you mean? And she was like, so, you know, it, it's exactly the same. 
like why are you separating the two you know treat them exactly the same and 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 then and that was a real kind of door opening moment for me that become this whole like be brutally honest with people it might make them feel really uncomfortable for like 30 seconds but actually also might empower them to go well actually like I've been struggling or actually I've got this issue and you know I, I try I, I don't really want to hide who I am you know well it's I'm, interesting I'm, it's interesting yeah. because you're you're brutally honest with everybody else but it sounds like you haven't been brutally honest with yourself to towards yourself yeah yeah and 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 it's like I am my biggest critic like I nah uh, yeah yeah no, like and, and and confidence like you know people will see and go oh my god gnomes you're so confident and you're really smiling and you're really happy like hell no it's all like it genuinely is yeah, all but, an act mate, but listen <laughs> listen don't let it be an act because it's annoying that you're so happy all the time it does everyone's head in it's like how can she be that happy like just be a little bit angry sometimes like that's all right I, well. I do <laughs> I do get angry and Stephen will tell you like I get angry like uh, um, my whole family's northern they're all from Manchester so like I have this northern like angry streak um hey southerners can get angry too as well you yeah know. yeah but but like trust me my family you know, have sort of have a massive chip on their shoulder for me, uh, you know but I I think with me and and especially when you, you talk about like mental health and as well as like being in chronic pain one of my favorite sayings is negativity breeds negativity so if you are in a really negative mindset, that will just continue to grow and be bigger and, be, and you become, you know, bitter and you become angry and then your pains feels worse or your mental health feels worse or you feel more tired. And, and actually that, that, that doesn't do you any good. So actually to... To, in any situation be it positive or negative you you got to flip it on its head you know you've got to say you know like with me being medically discharged and you know now being a wheelchair user I, I could be really miserable I, I've been there I've been really angry I, I've been to a state where I thought you know killing myself was was the the best option for me and my family and, and then actually turn it around and go do you know what the positives out that of you know I I did Invictus uh, I represented my country at para ice hockey I have the most amazing friend group who you know will, will be brutally honest with me give me a slap when I'm being you know down or, or being bad on myself but also be there to empower me to say you know Yes, you can do that. You know, Joe being in, in, in McDonald being the example of like Joe, I want to coach, and he's like, do it, do it. You'll be brilliant, and like he's nurtured that, and he's he's brought this whole other side out of me that like I I didn't believe that I had. So, yeah, like be happy because then you'll be happy. You know. No, that's does really that cool. sound weird? <laughs> no, it, does, it doesn't. It doesn't sound weird. It doesn't sound weird at all. And I've got. I'm speaking with Joe. We're doing a podcast with him, uh, recording next week. So I'm really excited about that. But what, but what you're talking about is a social support network of having people. You're, you're, what you've just described there to me is having people around you that will have honest conversations through the thick and the thin. So to be there, 
and tell and maybe tell you things that you don't want to hear but you need to hear yeah definitely and and I think as well like it's being comfortable being yourself around people like I I know I know I know people I know you know large groups of people but I have a very very small knit you know bubble where I can feel safe to be brutally honest and I can accept being told you know you've been a nightmare or you know you don't look particularly good and and it's the friends that kind of you don't have to say you're not in a good place because they kind of see it in you um like I, I went for a phase where I, I didn't realize I was doing this but when I felt rubbish I put on red lipstick <laughs> which is totally not me but like my friends twigged this and it was well, like went, went full-on pretty woman mode but yeah full-on pretty woman <laughs> mode yeah um apart from the uh you know obvious paying yeah, for services absolutely. thanks thanks Mo <laughs> um but sorry yeah, I so... didn't want to let one out <laughs> <laughs> um well um so uh, there's another story that I'll tell you off air about like not about me but um, a, a, a mutual friend of ours we might um, want to just leave this conversation now because it's only yeah. getting deeper isn't it I know so get myself out of this hole um <laughs> but yeah I think having that support network is it's, it's genuinely a lifesaver like and I don't I feel myself getting really emotional with that but like you know there are people that have unknowingly at the time I have been brutally low like seriously contemplating I'm gonna end all I can't deal with the pain I can't put my daughter through this I can't put Stephen through this like my head I, I just can't make sense of anything and bang the phone's rung or you know someone's dropped a text message and it, and it's like it, they don't know at that time but it's just that whole thing of like somebody cares and I think, you know, no matter how, how low you get, be it with mental health, be it with physical injury, be it with, you know, changing of situation, to, to just talk to somebody is, is the best thing to do, you know, because you might start talking about, you know, the weather or football or whatever but actually then feeling comfortable to go do you know what I actually don't feel great today but it's also okay to say I'm not 100% today or actually I feel a bit rubbish you know as a society we, we if somebody says are you okay how are you doing we'll go oh yeah I'm fine and it's like in the background you know you're contemplating suicide or actually you hate your job or you you've not done very well in exams but actually you it, we don't verbalize it and and why you know um it's like you the other day you went on instagram and you said you know i've not been doing fizz i've you know i'm totally i'm, I'm telling people to have healthy minds and healthy bodies but i'm not walking the walk and like you said i do that <laughs> you know i tell people and i help people but then it's like i don't look after myself because it's a kind of it, it, i suppose for me it was a coping mechanism if other people were happy then that made me happy um but at 41 nearly um i've realized that actually you can't live your life like that <laughs> you you older than that you're not funny <laughs> <laughs> hey, i'd like to just explore the um the suicide contemplation a little bit more because it's not normally a conversation that people would ever get to one have with somebody or to yeah. experience it. And I think there is 
some real value in this if if i don't mind mm, yeah so how did that come about why what what i know there's we'll go back into the beginning factors you know your 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 story i think in a little bit a little bit more detail in a moment but that moment where you thought that's it that like what was that what did that feel like and and how did that that particular situation happen so they're probably both linked actually um so when I grew up um when I was when I was 12 my mum got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis um so I've got a younger sister my dad worked seven days a week so I effectively became a young carer um so it's important to know at this point for people listening that you you haven't always been in a wheelchair no no (laughs) no yeah yeah just to put that Um, into context just to put that into context yeah if it doesn't Um, rain it pours eh yeah 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 good life (laughs) um so yeah my mum mum got diagnosed so so I watched my mum you know progressively get you know worse and have to look after her and have to feed her as well as doing exams as well as squaring away my sister and you know I all I wanted to do was join join the RAF and I delayed that to stay at home to look after mum so my sister could finish her GCSEs so I had all of this stuff going on as a, as a child where, you know, then saw my mum in a wheelchair and all this. And, and when I got medically discharged and, you know, they said, you know, you've got this spinal condition and, and basically you, you, you're, you're deteriorating and you're how I put it is the bottom half of my body is having a disco and the top half's not invited because um, it's nicer than actually what it is. And, you know, I have a whole load of range of other you know issues and stuff and to be told like it's going to progressively get worse you're going to probably end up in a wheelchair have this med have this drug you you know you can't really have what everyone says in a normal life at that time you've you know got a young daughter you've got husband and you just replay oh my god I've already been through this as a child I can't watch I can't let this happen the history repeated itself to my daughter and it's it became this whole thing of I can't I can't I can't do this to other people like I I can't let Vesta go through what I went and that is you know I don't want her to push my wheelchair I don't want her to feed me you know total explosion of you know naught to a (laughs) hundred and those thoughts just grew and grew and grew and grew and I didn't really understand what was happening I didn't go through the traditional med discharge route where you go to a PIU like I was at home by myself um I had like no support I just had Steve um so yeah it just became totally overwhelming where I just thought right that's it I'm I'm better off if I wasn't here. So how did that and feel inside though? What's that what did that emotion feel like or didn't it feel like anything anything? Really chaotic. Like really like I must have it, it, like you know w- when the washing machine's on a washing cycle and the water's spinning around like it felt like you know flashes of you know being angry and then like being quite ease because I thought right okay yeah the best thing to do would be to just that's it and then you 
have an argument with yourself and going you can't do that that's silly you know why are you having that thought and it, it just such a range of emotion where you just think you know a genuine the world genuinely would be better without me and just this massive release of you know like emotion and I remember you know Steve came home from work and like I was on it, it, I was on the floor like crying and rocking I was like screaming at him and like it totally freaked him out but like I just kept saying you know I, you'd be better off without me leave me like I'll, I'll I'll just go somewhere and I'll and he was like not a chance like this is not you you do not give in this and, and it was that I had I had ruminated in my own thoughts and again you know rather than talking to somebody about how I was feeling it because it I had multiple conversations with myself and talked myself into a situation that was not the right thing for anybody to to you know do or have and yeah it's I mean yeah it's uh, I've had I've had you know I've had friends who have attempted I've been on the end of a telephone when somebody who I didn't know has attempted you know and it it you know it it's one of those things where I can true I can truly say like you do feel like you have no other option but that isn't true. <laughs> Did you ever, you know, you said that you had exposure to friends in, in varying guises surrounding suicide. Do you ever feel, or did you, do you ever think that the reason why you thought it was an option was because you'd been exposed to it? And had you not been exposed to that, then you wouldn't have thought about it if, if that made any sense at all? Um, I don't think so. I think, you know, I think you you almost take yourself out of a, the situation so you know I think anybody who contemplates this I don't or rather myself it was almost like I could see what was happening in my life but I was outside of it and and you know you go right okay I the best thing is that I'm not here because it's it's better for everybody else or I just can't cope I just can't cope with chronic pain or you know mental Ill health or feeling low or sad or, or whatever but you, it, yeah it's, it's it's weird because like you know even my friends that have attempted I got really angry with them and you know to go like why would you do that and then Stephen was like so you know you've thought about that right and it's like yeah but but you can only reflect on it after um and I think that's why now I'm again like really honest when I'm not in a good place and and especially you know at Christmas I wasn't in a great place and I was so proud of myself to ring the doctors up and say yeah I need meds <laughs> help and she and then they because it wasn't the doctor that knew me and she was like well do you want to talk in therapy I was like no I just need meds so please give me meds um which don't work for everybody but yeah I how long ago was that um so my my first first one um 
Would oh, so you've been... had more than one? Yeah, yeah. So a bit, of a, been... bit of a, a veteran at it then. 2014. Okay. Would have been. And then probably the late the latest one was I, I say yeah I rang the doctors up and I was super proud of myself at Christmas but there was a fleeting moment at towards the end of last year where I was like I just can't cope um so how do you go how do you you said about reflection yeah so you obviously have done amazingly well even though I know that you don't think that, but I absolutely do believe that you're a superstar and you don't. You've done amazingly well to come back from that 2014. You will reflect, you'll learn, you'll evolve as a person, mature anyway, just, just through life. How does that happen again? Did you, see, do you, did you see the events leading up to it or was it just sort of out of control again? Or how, how did that occur again? I I think I I just become overwhelmed like I am inherently bad at saying no so um somebody recently said to me gnomes no is a full sentence and I was like what <laughs> she's like you can say no and and you know what like it's funny um and, and I nearly texted it to you actually the other day because um, I thought, I think Mo needs to hear this too. But like, I will go and go and go and work and work and then do this and then do that and then do this. Almost because like, I don't want my own company <laughs> because then that's when I start to think about stuff and I start to, so if I do loads of stuff and keep myself busy, but the problem with that is I do more stuff and I get more tired. And then my head, yeah, yeah, my head goes a little crazy and I crash. And it's like, it's on that crash where, yeah, you just flip and you, you know, you can't, whatever chemical is in your body, you know, it, it, it just sends me into that hole. Okay, it hurts more. It, my head, I can't figure things out in my head. I can't explain to Stephen. I get angry with him. I get enjoyment out of nothing and then it just goes further and further and further and further and further you know sometimes I'm really good at stopping that at a point and other times it's yeah I just continue and 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 I think it this that time at Christmas the reason why I let stuff get on top of me so much was I didn't have my support network because of lockdown like I would see Joe, I would see Holly and Megs and, you know, my, my mates here and, and, and you and, and whoever. And I'd sit and I'd talk and, you know, I'd have the crack or I'd, you know, see the guys training and, and stuff. I haven't had that for a year. And, and yeah, I like, I like the people I like, <laughs> I say, you know, so yeah, it's, 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 it's weird because I like obviously I, I, you know I'm back on my meds now like I don't have that chaoticness um so yeah so it kind of like flat not flat lines me as to say like I'm really boring but it just kind of means that I don't have heightened emotions about situations which is kind of what I need um yeah mate what was it like being a young carer 
can I swear? <laughs> You, you know never, you've never asked permission to do anything before <laughs> so you just get on and do whatever you need to do do you know what it's really sh- it is really shit because you like there's not enough exposure to it but to people and how I think like h- how many times do you do you hear people talking about young carers like how like for me recently I think it was like Red Nose Day like they have a couple films about young carers and and stuff like that but but again it's like this real hidden part of society you know and 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 these kids are like being proper superstars you know they're they're holding down a sister sister, I can't speak siblings or a parent um and then they're going to school and then they're going like I remember I remember like it was really funny like when I joined up and people were like some people had like never done their washing before and they were like oh like I don't know how to work a washer and I was like mate I've been doing washing since I was like 13 so like on one hand being a young carer was like gave you all these life skills that actually you didn't have to worry about you know getting to if you went to uni and learning to cook or going in the military and learning to iron and all that because like I had that down by the time I was like 14 you know um but the other side of it is you don't you don't really have like a parent-child relationship you know or you don't really kind of you know I still did things as as, you know as as a kid like I still played like high level hockey and you know I was, I was an air cadet you know so you know we, we still went on holiday hey I was really good <laughs> um but yeah so you it was a real mixed bag but part of it like you saw your parents suffering and nobody nobody helped no like nobody helped us like we didn't have respite we didn't have someone talk to us about you know what was going to happen to mum or you know how we were feeling so like we had all this sort of stuff that basically just again got locked away in a compartment in the back of your head and didn't really get spoken you know spoken about so yeah do you ever, do you ever or did you ever resent your mum for things that you couldn't do when you were growing up as a kid no no like my mum was like they always they always say like Veronica was the like proper last lady like so like she very rarely wore trousers um she like was always like super um polite she always laughed like she like she was always like genuinely a lovely like lovely soul you know um and yeah her her kind of her body just decided that it was going to be a bit shit um you know and 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 again like I watched her you know being very active and doing knitting and crocheting to the fact that then she she couldn't even feed herself but like she had a wicked sense of humor like I remember one day I think we I think it was when I got you know slightly older so maybe maybe 16 17 and we went out for Sunday dinner and was you know feeding her in our our local pub and I said mum like does it bother you that you know 
we're feeding you and she put it let's put it this way if you don't feed me I'm gonna starve and it's like you know it 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 was like like, you know she'd joke about our hand tremors how we should just basically rent her out for our hand tremors and like little things like that like it's not very ladylike but yeah you just have you have to have a laugh about it And, and she always said you know if my sense of humor goes that will be when I'm ready and and you know unfortunately you know her her MS affects her um voice box so she in the end couldn't communicate um so yeah and then I was on oh when when she passed away so it was 2004 I was on my week's leave before um my post into Northern Ireland and I'd seen her on the Tuesday I'd gone home um, I said, right, I'll see you tomorrow because I'm going back up to, to um, camp to have my leaving do. And the phone rang at six o'clock in the morning. And by the time my dad put it down, I was dressed because I just knew. Um, and she, we, we went to the hospital. My sister was flying back from Canada that day. And she, Vic walked in the door at four o'clock. And she probably, yeah, she passed about 10 past. So she kind of hung on to my sister got in the room. So, right. yeah, it, it was 46 she was, which is nothing. Like, nothing. But, like, she, 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 she gave me a lot in, for, you know, in my, my time. You know, I was 24. You know, I learned a lot from it. I, I, I you know... But and then you go on to the times where you really want your mum. So when you get married, when you have kids, when you like do amazing things like, you know, I'd love to have told her about Invictus. I'd love to have taken her. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's stuff like that. You're like, I don't, you know, I don't have my mum. But, you know, I'm really lucky now to be a mum. And we talk about, you know, Nana Veronica and Vesta has a second name and, you know, so yeah, you just again you've got to take a really crappy situation and get a positive out of it. She's watching and she's proud. Make no mistake. Yeah, yeah. So how hard could... was it? Sorry, go on, go on. No, no, go on. So how hard was it then to to be that that young carer and then you didn't just get a normal job. You decided to join the military. So how where did that like inspiration come from to do that? So, like, all I ever wanted to do was be in the RAF. Like, I don't know how it came about, like, but, like, all through school, like, I'm going to be in the RAF. Like, all my work experience, like, I went down to RAF St. Morgan and did work experience at RAF St. Morgan. Like, like I said, I joined the ATC at, at 13. So, like, I was county swimming at Limpston. I was going up to Lineham and Locking, you know, like, through like threw myself into you know all, all this stuff you know going to a Campton camp was like every other weekend um so yeah it was like it was crazy but, but you you I, th- I think it was my route out so like small town in Devon like a lot of people don't go past Bristol <laughs> because they're like, Where why do you want to Tiverton? So Junction 27 on the, uh, on the, on the train route. Well, I'm, I'm um, at Junction, aren't I? 
Yeah. So, um, so Tiverton. Um, I was born in Exeter. So, um, oh, that's not too bad then. That's not too bad. Yeah. So, I, I think because it was like I can't stay here. Like, I don't want to stay here. Like for the rest of my life, which is, I mean, it's fine for some people, but I just was like, no, I, I just need to. There's more. There's more out there. And yeah, just the plan was to like finish college and join straight up, but like yeah so I kind of I didn't because we wanted my sister to kind of get through our exams and stuff so yeah I joined up joined up two years later. So what was the dynamic at home then if you were the sort of primary carer as it were what happened with your mom and the domestics when you then said right I'm off see you later I'm going to go start basic training on Monday? That kind of all fell on my sister and my dad so yeah. Those those conversations obviously were had before yeah I mean it it, 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 it it part of me was like do I do I do it do, you know do I join up or do I you know continue having a job in Dorothy Perkins um and it's probably the only time I've felt guilty about being selfish um and I kind of heard you know this is this is something I've got to do and if I don't do it now I'm not going to do it so is it selfish at the time I thought it was (laughs) you know at the time I thought you know you you probably should be at home and you should be spending time with people and helping out and 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 instead I just was like right I'm off to RF Holton (laughs) seven seven weeks basic training is going to be a doddle um so yeah it's kind of it's and and I suppose in one way that's that's where I don't want to say a wall but that's where probably a shutter then came down but between like me and my family in terms of like them knowing what was happening with me like I would always know what's happening at home but I just wouldn't tell them what was going on with me because I didn't want to add to the burden so yeah it it become like my dad didn't realize like how bad like my injury and my mental health was and sort of until really he came to live with us (laughs) like four years ago <laughs> so it's like yeah it is you, you it, it, yeah it's hard because you just don't want to burden people um especially when you've got something massive already happening you know so you go to rf horton you do the the couple of like weekends in a hotel a couple of weekends. <laughs> yeah in the hotel <laughs> to get through their their what they call training no i'm only joking and then, so what was being in the RF? Was it everything that you thought it was going to be? Was it the? Was it the, the, did the reality match the ambition prior to joining? You know what? It's really funny because, like, you go through tra- you go through basic training. So, like, I joined up as a survival equipment fitter. So basically, anything survival related to aircrew or flying is like your responsibility. So, so just ex- just elaborate a little bit on that. What, okay. does that. what does that actually mean? So, so we get nicknamed squippers not strippers, squippers. Um, so basically- You're not we painting look... a great picture. <laughs> They're not painting a great picture, no. <laughs> so, um, so basically you look after stuff um, like, you know, life jackets, parachutes, um, night vision goggles, helmets, uh, life rafts, um, the um, 
harnesses on the back of like um chinooks and hercules and uh what else um so all the equipment that doesn't yeah. normally get used a great deal but when it needs to be used yeah 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 so at, at, at the time so i think it's still the case now i could be wrong but it's like the only trade in the military that you can actually get done for manslaughter for not doing your job properly but it, it, you know it was the case back then but yeah so it's uh, basically there's a lot of body <laughs> there's a lot of body fluid with pilots like sick or the other stuff which is not this glamorous side but yeah so I did trade training like I was like everybody's always like yeah I want to work with fast jets I just want to go fast jets and I got my posting order and they said you're going to army air corps middle wallop and I was like what Where's that? <laughs> Where, what's that and they were like yeah you're you're gonna go and um be detached to the army air corps for the next four years and it was like on helicopters i was like what <laughs> like didn't even know where middle wallet was like on it like Salisbury plane like thanks very much and like honestly we it, it was hilarious because everyone was like what why are you going to work with the army like this, this is just weird so yeah like and at the time so I was like 21 but I still didn't drive so my mum and dad like had to come up from Devon to to like the other side of Birmingham to pick me up to then drive me all the way back down to like Andover to take me to um take me to Middle Wallop and um so I'd gone from like female accommodation fairly you know nice RAF accommodation to then go into this army unit where it was more you know ev everyone was in together and there was a, a, a you know a, um shared the bathroom and all that and like I remember I got my room like it was it was a nice big room you know and my mum my mum went to use the facilities and she came back and she was like you are not staying here I've just and like army blakes going to the loo and don't shut the door so like my mum was just like oh my god <laughs> so yeah so um but you know what like I had an absolute blast like I it was so good because I could I could do army adventure training I could do RAF adventure training like working with Apache like it was epic like I got to be the survival equipment fitter for um the blue eagles display team like so we did a display team that like so what, it was sorry what are the blue eagles display the blue team? eagles display team are I, I don't know if they're still going but the army air corps helicopter display team so at that time it was um a lynx and then four gazelles um but I think now it might just be like two Apaches. But it, yeah, we did a display season and like it was epic. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so it was really like really good fun. And then then I got posted to Northern Ireland to work with the Army Air Corps again. So like in my 14 year, eight month career, I did like eight years with the Army Air Corps and then the rest of it went to fast jets, which was a bit bone to be honest <laughs> so like fast jet pilots are a breed like completely different like completely different and, uh, and it was really good because like spending all that time with the army like when I went to Afghan in 2007 I, I went as a single augmentee so like I got on the flight by myself like and that means, it. what does that mean so you go as a single individual you don't go as part of a unit you don't go part of, like as part of a team so like shipped off all by myself 
and like turned up at, at Kandahar Air Base going like I don't even know who's meeting me like I don't know where I'm supposed to be and is that where you is that where you were were you at Kandahar or did you go yeah to so we were split between Kandahar and Bastion and when was that in 2007 uh, 2007 and then I went back 2011 12 over Christmas so, so, we, so we didn't know each other but we must have because I went early 2008 yeah, so it was like, um, so yeah, both tours were with Joint Helicopter Force. So, um, so yeah, it was weird and like stepped off the flight and like must have taken like 10 paces before someone was like gnomes. It was like, and then all of a sudden there was like all the lads that were in my, on my Brunei dare and like all these other, and it was just like, oh my God, thank God. <laughs> and, and it was really good because like, I knew like, I'm going to be okay because I know like the lads are here and if I've got any stresses or worries like they'll they'll square me away and yeah in like 2007 I was the only girl on the flight line at Bastion so like I was bunking in with a with the lads <laughs> like and and yeah it was like it was weird <laughs> but it was like it's really weird I think people find it really odd when you say like Afghan was a laugh like it wasn't like a nice place and it what, what was happening wasn't nice but actually like you make the best out of a bad situation and, and like genuinely have made some really great friends and have some you know really good memories of like silly things that kind of kept us you know going <laughs> during like not having very much and you know all the rubbish that was going on but yeah it was so when did Stephen win the lottery then what, what, was, the, what was the uh situation surrounding that particular meet so we 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 were we were both in northern ireland together so steven's ex remy aircraft technician don't hate him um um yeah so like i bet you we, two have some riveting conversations don't you <laughs> too funny enough we don't really talk about, talk about don't ever go around their house for dinner <laughs> boring um, yeah no, boring. Um, yeah we we basically we both played hockey and um yeah and then we went to the isle of man on hockey tour and so what you have to what but, everyone but, has but to, what happens on tour usually stays on tour though mate. yeah but the, the problem with that though is so for, for everybody else who doesn't know my husband um he doesn't drink and never has done so like when if i'm like so i you know normal hockey tour got very 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 inebriated <laughs> Stephen wasn't drunk so so yeah it was um there's a whole story there which I won't say a podcast of like actually him making sure that I didn't die throughout the night <laughs> and um yeah hey, and then, if he's holding your hair back on the first date he's a keeper he he then never left that that was what was like I don't really understand how it happened because like I got back I think it was my birthday the next day and he bought me flowers and then like never left so like it just turned into this <laughs> turned into this it, thing. It, it must have just been like <laughs> she loves a good knees up she's a keeper yeah but he doesn't even like it. but yeah I mean I think he he is definitely like the yin to my yang like and I, I genuinely don't know how I've been so lucky to you know still have him but also for him to kind of accept my craziness but also like be thrown into 
this like the whole whiz thing and and you know you know what he was like in Sydney you know he was he was in in our hotel not just squaring me away but like squaring everybody else away and having chats with everyone and making sure that they were all right and you know that's that's really intense for us but also but more so you know for him and yeah I just so to explain Wiz is wounded injured and sick sick, yeah yeah but it's yeah he just everybody just wants a hug from Steve (laughs) to be fair like that was his play he doesn't drink that's his play he doesn't play yeah I tell you what he he should write a book (laughs) He should he should but he just um I think he just has this aura about him that all, it you just feel quite calm and before you know it you're like telling him all sorts of stuff <laughs> because but like w- when our friends come who who to the house you know who are particularly having a bad time we say like come up to Norfolk like come and chill out no expectations um first thing they want to do they'll say hi to me and then they'll just like stand there for five minutes hugging Steve and you're like what <laughs> you, need to, <laughs> like, you need to work on your cuddle skills That's I know I know and they're like I needed that I feel so much better and it's 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 just really weird like um but yeah he he he's um he's definitely something kind of special and it you know it's it's difficult he puts up with a lot you know and and like anybody, it sometimes can't cope. But you know, he's 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 good at kind of well, I say he's good at raising his hand. He's like everybody needs a bit of a poke <laughs> now and then to say pick up the arse oh. every now and then. So what yeah. so what were you both still serving when you fell pregnant then? Uh no, Steve wasn't. Um Steve had left. So was um, it always his intention to leave? I want to say this in a nice way, but like Steve really wasn't cut out to be in the military, <laughs> to be fair. I mean, come on, like he's a Glaswegian that doesn't drink, never drunk, never been drunk, joins the military, manages to stay teetotal, <laughs> does does Northern Ireland and then Watersham and that's it. <laughs> I mean, like, there's a research study in that right there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so he he just you know he didn't want to I think he just got fed up of all the rubbish and he was like he actually tried to join the RAF um before he left (laughs) um but yeah I think he just was like no I you know I don't want to be you know I don't want to be a sergeant I don't want more rubbish like I'm out so yeah so then he he when I came back from Afghan I got a posting to uh, IF Lossie Mouth and he was already up there because um, his parents live in the Highlands. So, yeah, we ended up renting and, and then we got married in 2008 and then Vesta was born in 2009. Didn't know <laughs> so, about then. It wasn't meant to be like that, but it just happened like that. So, yeah. Stop being so bloody efficient with things. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So, when... So... Married, baby, everything's got career, everything's good to go. When did you start realising that things weren't quite right and your, as you put it, where your your bottom half started to have a party and your top <laughs> half wasn't invited? Um, 
probably probably when I got pregnant because <laughs> um, that didn't help at all <laughs> um, and then obviously after and and you know I I did suffer quite badly with postnatal depression um, and I was things just weren't quite right um, but again like I just like put a brave face on it and kind of was like what wasn't okay, quite right what what a- just pain levels and you know I had you know really bad you know sciatic pain again and it was like oh, okay and like I always Steve says you always have this amazing thing of like because back so originally I injured myself in 2001 2001 2002 did two stints at Headley Court and then basically they said to me you will um you might end up in a wheelchair you might not see how you go so what's the reason for that though what did they did they know so um so I've got um a couple of totally very damaged discs um my fascia joints have gone um s1 nerve is impinged I've got sacroiliac dysfunction um yeah basically if you see an MRI of my spine you'd think it was of a 90 year old woman so why is it, is that a, is there a reason why or is it just that degradation that yeah so they they reckon I had a trauma um probably during basic and then because I didn't realize then that just started like issues um and yeah and, and then obviously since then there's other things that have happened and yeah I just kind of was like yeah it's fine it's fine it's fine um yeah, so and then got... like, so what was that like when they, sorry to interrupt but right. what was that like when they said oh yeah you might might be in a wheelchair you might not like so I was twi- like twi- I was like what twi- 21 22 and I was just like yeah if it's really bad they'll have said like you can't do anything but they they didn't really and obviously it's only when you look back on your med records after you've been med discharge and you go like oh actually that was quite serious and oh that didn't get picked up and and they think that a lot of that was because I was in a because I was attached to an an army unit basically it all kind of got lost in the cracks so I wasn't probably as protected as as I should have been and then obviously got sent back to Afghan in in 2011 and basically as soon as I came back from Afghan like I could hardly put any weight down my right side um just yeah just my whole right side of my body just decided that it wasn't going to work properly and then got posted and then had more exams and stuff and then my mental health got worse and yeah it just became this whole like crazy ride of but but the difficulty was like you can't see it so like you could like I was walking with crutches or or like so you can see there's something wrong because you've got crutches but you not like a broken leg where you can physically go that's where you're hurt you know with a spinal condition or with mental health you can't see it so people's natural reaction is to go like oh yeah you're faking it and it got to a point at one stage where I had to take an MRI scan in to show my sergeant that there actually was something wrong with me you know and you'll then become you then start this whole cycle of like justifying yourself and then that adds to more stress that adds to more mental health ways to the point where you, you don't want to be at work like you you do not want to be anywhere and you start resenting and like I hated the RAF 
towards the end of it like I I any time I had to uh, you know during my med discharge process any time I had to go back into the you know um personal service flight to have my sort of monthly check-in with the warrant officer um I'd have an anxiety attack or Stephen would have to drive me because I'd get that worked up about being in a place that I believe didn't believe me there was something wrong with me and you know it 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 was it was it had a real horrible effect on me because I, I just really resented the military um for, for you know for years like I didn't you know going past military base you'd come out in hives and hot sweat and, you know and it was only probably like Invictus that made me go do you know what it that wasn't that wasn't the military it wasn't certain people in that network it was a group of individuals who didn't look after me the way they should have looked after me and and you know I I vowed that I would never let anyone go through a medical discharge the way I went through a medical discharge and I think that's why I ended up in the military charity sector (laughs) um you know and that's why I ended up coaching and that's you know it, it it's horrible when you're by yourself did you you said that the pregnancy made it worse was it before or after where you started using a wheelchair um so so the wheelchair conversation is probably a really good one right because when people start saying to you like I think it's time that you you know to be able to do more you need to be in a wheelchair and you fight it <laughs> and you go no no it's fine it's fine I don't need it I don't need it I don't need it and it's probably you know I've only been like a wheelchair wheelchair user like the last like three four years like not long because it took me that long to realize that actually it's an aid not hindrance but the problem is is that society sees you completely different in a wheelchair society blocks you when you're in a wheelchair and and that has been the hardest thing for me to deal with is the fact that you know the world is not accessible <laughs> and you don't realize it as an able-bodied person um you know you when, when you when you have your day and you have to go to meetings you'll like put that meeting in your diary you'll go oh if it's in you know wherever in London you'll be like all right I can get off at this tube station you know 30 minutes before bish bash wash gone I can't do that I have to plan my day like to to the letter of how I'm going to get to places and in some cases I have to either have to tell people before the meeting can I just double check that it's wheelchair accessible or I have to phone a venue to say, are you accessible? Because if I turn up somewhere and it's not accessible, I can't get in. You know, I've been to I've been to hotels before where they've taken the lift away and I can't get in. So then you've got to get out of your wheelchair. You know, I'm really lucky my legs do work. Um, And then someone's got to carry your chair up the stairs. 
you know and that's that is that then starts a whole other conversation of like why are you in a wheelchair your legs work blah 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 and you're like but it, but it's the stress and it's the emotion of it because people don't realize how that affects people of you know it's raining and you're pressing a button outside for somebody to get a, a ramp to get you into a building like it's horrible it's horrible you know and it's you know it, I've been I've been on the tube and I've been told the the tube wasn't designed for people like me I've been sat on on the tube <laughs> which is quite funny <laughs> but like yeah it's it's really like it's dehumanizing because you 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 don't want to I, I don't want to be a wheelchair user but I have to because it means that I can have better quality of life and it means that my body is able to do a lot more and I'm, you know, be able to do a lot more family time, spend time with friends. But yeah, you, it's a whole other thing of, you know, you don't, you think it's bad when you're pushing a pram, try being sat in a wheelchair, you know, everything's up here. You walk into a shop and you want a sandwich. Like <laughs> I must've had the same sandwich for my lunch <laughs> for about a week because it was the only flavor sandwich that I could reach <laughs> in the shop. Because then you have to ask somebody, excuse me, can you, can you get that for me, please? And it's just, it's, yeah, it's, so it's I was, tiring. I was privileged enough to be a carer, um, to a guy called Phil Eaglesham and we went to the Rio Paralympics. He was a, he was a Marine. Um, and he's, he's, you know, I, I went pretty much everywhere with him for about two or three years. And I used to get really defensive because I've never, never known what it's like to be in a wheelchair and touch wood. I don't ever have to experience that, but I used to get really defensive of him because there were like, people would come to speak to us and speak to me, not him. Yeah. And I'm like, and I, I'm, I do call it out as well. And I'm like, he can hear you, you know, he can speak as well because it's just that social height yeah. and that social height is hugely, massively important because being on an eye level with somebody, it changes the dynamic. We went to the pub once and he never went again because he had drinks passed over his head. Now that wasn't something that he, that anyone deliberately did. It's just like you said, it's just the way it is. So around about eight years ago, he was like, I've had enough of this. And so he's invented his own mobility device called Victor Mobility. Yes. And it should be out this year. And he's like, it's got social height, it level changes, it's got um, built in, it goes up and down a curb. It, so you don't have all those things that you have to worry about, you reduce them. And, his, and the slogan is uh, enable, not disable. And all he did it, I mean, this thing goes, I think... I remember right, he goes like 25, 30 miles an hour because he wanted to be able to go with his boys on a bike ride, for instance. Yeah, and be yeah. able to keep up with them. He wanted, to, he wanted to be able to get into more inaccessible places that wheelchair can't. But more importantly, the, the wheelchair he's got at the moment, the, the motorized wheelchair he's got, it's expensive to yeah. fit. It's, ri so, it's ridiculous. So if you, for any disability equipment and disability sport equipment, so... I can't, there was a study done and I think they they kind of compared disability sport to able-bodied sport and I think it worked out something like you know two thousand pound more 
to do disability sport than able-bodied sport because of the cost of equipment. And so you're right, like you've got to travel somewhere, you've got to take more kit. It's more expensive. Yeah, it's like yeah. Everything is just harder. Yeah, and it, it and that kind of sometimes takes the fun out of stuff because you you have to really think, you know. And I, I remember just when I started the job at the Endeavor Fund, and we were at the Endeavor Fund Awards, and I was sat on the stage. Um, doing a Q and A with a, a parent of of a, of a girl who who um, I can't remember what condition it was, and Ross Kemp, and they they asked a question about like how did it affect you, and I said, well, I remember, you know, being sat down in the wheelchair, and I was at one side of the park, and Stephen and Vesta at another, and it it's this barrier. And it's like instantly it's already hard enough because you're having to deal with a condition or, or whatever. But then all of a sudden society just like slams this thing down on you because they're like, well, actually, why would you want to play with your kids? <laughs> or, you know, why would you want children or, or, you know, why would you want to do that? So actually it's really like it's constant as well you know and it, it's quite funny like we went we took Vesta to the West End to see um Matilda and um you obviously you go and then you go up to thing and you say like hi um where's you know how do we get in disabled access and they were like oh just stay there like someone will be out and um we ended up going through the bin door <laughs> right which is which is fine um, so we were like, you know, okay, thanks very much, like passing the bins. Vesta thought it was a VIP entrance. <laughs> so she was like, oh my God, look, we're getting special treatment, mommy. This is really nice. Like, and so actually now we've gone, do you know what? We're, we'll look at it that way. You know, we'll we'll look at it that actually, yeah, we're, you know, we're doing this because we're I'm important. A, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about taking scoops <laughs> out because we queue jump. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. in. Oh, yeah, yeah, come yeah, to the yeah. front. I love you. Know, you go, go to a theme park. You're in special. Yeah, entry. yeah. I mean, always, there is, always there, go with him. There is advantages. Like I get on a plane first. Like sometimes, like wh whoever's with you, you don't have to pay. Like that's fine. And people go like, oh yeah, that's really good. That's great. But also, like I just like to get into a shop, or I just like to go to a restaurant and then not be able to like go to the toilet because you can't get past any of the tables or or in fact the disabled toilet is being used as a storage room you know it, it it's and it's really hard accessible when we talk about the word accessible that comes in varying forms yeah so it's not necessarily the marvelous professional 2021 ramp that's been installed and these palatial rooms that that you might sort of anticipate being associated with being accessible. That is not yeah. the case. Accessible can be this ridiculous temporary ramp that is outside and you have to wait for the service lift and you can actually, you know, that sort of stuff. That's that, that you know, there's a, there's a whole variety when we're talking access accessibility. But it's also just being like considerate, you know, like it, just like not looking at people like they've got two heads or you know I mean you or, are from Devon I am from Devon yeah or but just ask also at, like ask the question like it's 
we as a society like and it is I think like an exposure and a generational thing but like just because someone's in a wheelchair doesn't mean they're thick or doesn't mean they can't contribute to society I mean like and also like choose your words <laughs> it's like I've been told how lovely it is that I'm able to go out by myself <laughs> and it's like what <laughs> like why wouldn't I do, do you know what I mean so it's like or do you mean it's nice that we can go out you know you, so it's it's like just because you're in a wheelchair doesn't mean like you can't hold down a really good job you can't you know play sports you can't it, and also if you can't see it you can't be it so now like having that diversity on telly or within companies that actually you know have you ever seen a have you ever seen a someone in a wheelchair who's a doctor or a nurse or anything like that like I've never seen it but then you see Jen Warren and like Jen was the reason why I started Invictus you know because I saw a mum in a wheelchair with a you know and I was like oh my god that's someone like me so actually she, like, was, Jen... she was the bloody cause of me having an emotional reaction in Toronto when we were trackside it was her fault and I'll hold her to that as well so Jen if you ever listen to this this you're out of order that it was it ended up being called a moment as well you have yeah, an emotion I'm like Jen, you're out of order Jen's made me cry a few <laughs> times but I think it's that whole thing of you know why does being so I hate the word disabled I just don't like don't say I'm disabled anything you know I think if you're adaptive you you kind of why can't you do anything you know that barrier is are you putting that barrier in or is society putting that barrier in actually and if society are putting that in find a flipping way around it or challenge it or you know and you, yeah you might not get anywhere but actually still be that still be that thought thought and if you change one person's perception then that's one more person to change someone else's perception and it, it just you know so i yeah. have a question well you said that you used the you ended up using the wheelchair because you saw it as an aid mm -hmm. what was it like using it for the first time did you go game changer or did you go i can't believe i'm using this bloody thing it scared the absolute life if I'm honest like you because it is scared the life out of everybody else using it yeah I mean it is like a it is a strange bit of kit because you you have to realize that if you lean too far backwards you'll tip over or if you don't apply your brakes or you know the fact that your your kid can be walking in front of you and then stop you know I, I, the worst place to be in a wheelchair is London because everybody looks down at their phones and is walking along and you're going look up look up look up and next thing you're dead stop and they've hit you and you know you need it, a little horn <laughs> I need a little horn yeah um but I still don't like it but it allows me the freedom. It allows me to socialize. It allows me to have a longer day. It allows me to spend time with my family and my friends. So it's, 
it's not a hindrance it's like I see it as like in a morning you get dressed yeah everybody should wear clothes um some more than others um but like my Let's not go down that path mate <laughs> but my wheelchair is like you know just as my accessory you know uh, uh, you know I can I can work you know I can work because of it um and it also means I can get on a flight before anyone else or you know like you said Q jump um and get sat on on the tube <laughs> where did where did uh so we're talking about you didn't want history to repeat itself so how hard has that been and what's has how has that affected how you've been a mum with that as a reflection? I think it has been hard, but I think especially now, like now, like we're very we're very open with Vesta. Like she has got an old head on young shoulders like because you know she's had she's had to kind of deal with a lot and we collectively made the decision that you know we we would talk to her openly about stuff um we would encourage her to say you know when she's not feeling great and normalize you know mental health and physical health um so it's it it has been it has been hard, but then also like I've produ produced this little human being. I say I, I meant we, Stephen and I. Um, he did he did the twenty <laughs> he did seconds. He did yeah, the twenty yeah. seconds important work. Didn't <laughs> yeah, he? yeah. Um, Left the rest to you. Yeah. Um, who doesn't see disability? Like in Sydney, like if you say like you know Rachel or or Joe Dilner or Kelly or anything like Vesta was like oh yeah that, that's Kelly blah 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 and she so she won't instantly go like oh Joe he's only got one arm you know um or stare at, 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 at um because she'll she looks at the person you know and and I'm so proud that she she is like that you know because she'll she'll tell you a comment about a person first before she'll comment about you know they're missing a leg or can't use her arm or they're blind or whatever and I think that is because like we've normalized that word disability um but also like she knows that my her mum yes maybe a wheelchair user but she's also a manager. She's also a coach. She's also an athlete, you know. Um, and that's what was always really important to me is to to show her that as a, as a woman, she can do anything, no matter what is thrown in her in her path, um, you know. Um, and and she has the choice to choose what path she takes. Um, and I think that, and that's, I think, probably been our biggest, my biggest sort of learning point from being a child carer around my family and my parents to us now is that, like, that openness and that, you know, it's okay to talk about things. It's okay to talk about things with other people. Um, 
because it's needed sometimes so yeah I mean I don't quite know how how I've produced a very well-rounded 12 year old <laughs> well as we said before it's Stephen's 20 seconds that did it yeah 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 she's definitely very very much like Stephen but do you know what like it's she is she is ultimately the reason to not give up you know and the the reason to keep proving people wrong the reason to be happy is because you know she is the next generation of humans and 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 it she's she's going to be 41 at some point and she by then could have done something extraordinary or or not but always have that core values of you know there is a person there regardless of whether they've got two arms two legs <laughs> use use all that you know um and I hope that is an asset to whatever she does you know in her in her life so that's really powerful Let's talk Invictus. What did Invictus do for you? And what did it mean to be part of that process? I'll get all, I'll get all teary now. <laughs> um, do you know what? Like it, it, Invictus was really weird. So I, I initially went to apply for Toronto because they were going to do sledge hockey and obviously I used to play hockey so I joined a para ice hockey team <laughs> and I was like I'm gonna do this and then and then they binned it and I was like oh no I started a new sport and I can't give up <laughs> so so like that 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 was the start of it but that was the start of me starting adaptive sports so like I was, for that reason like I'm mega you know mega thankful um but then like to find wheelchair racing and like be able to go relatively fast um and again be in this community of people that encourage and nurture and meet people like joe mcdee um and and ali and and all that lot who you know genuinely amazing human beings doing stuff that impacts lots of lives without even really knowing it and and I think you know as I went through the Invictus process my confidence in myself like grew and to the point where you know at the time I was I was working for walking with the wounded and the job came up for Endeavor Fund program manager and I was like I'm gonna throw my hat in the ring I've got no chance in hell but I'm gonna throw my hat and I don't think I'd have had that confidence in myself if I hadn't been on that kind of Invictus journey and um obviously I got into the team um we, that we know now like and I was totally gobsmacked because I only went for one sport you know and you hear all the rumors like you can't do one sport and you know it's only for people who got injured during a war and like yeah okay um and then I got the job got told I got the job at Endeavor and um but I didn't tell anybody because I was really nervous that like I actually was dreaming and that it wasn't really real and that I'd come crashing down in like a big you know crazy bubble so like obviously I went to Sydney and you know Joe made me captain of the, of the athletic squad and stuff which was epic and 
I just it's a bit hazy like Invictus is like a crazy ride and you're knackered because it's long days because you've got training and and then you've got like filming if if you get asked to do filming and then you meet all these people and like I didn't feel very well torn and as we now know like I was having a massive flare-up uh, as uh, you know the flight just didn't do my body any good and um you know total massive like anxiety attacks and uh, I was fine like I always said like all I wanted to do was get on that start line and you know prove one that I could do that but also prove to Vesta that mummy could do a, you know some sport to be an inspiration and I was fine with that like and and I like when we when I did my first races and stuff and it was like me against the Americans <laughs> yay <laughs> and it was like okay <laughs> this is fine and Gabby who is was one of the Americans who won all the golds so Gabby is also the um USA goaltender for their para ice hockey team so I knew Gabs um so I was like oh this is fucking like and um after the first day of athletics, Vesta got really upset because I kept coming forth. <laughs> and I was like, it's fine. Like, because I genuinely didn't go there for medals. I, I went there to get something for me. And that's what you we know? promoted throughout, though. It was about your personal journey and a medal fine, but it was about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And and you know what? Like, I could, I could feel myself kind of and my confidence growing and more and more. And then that 1500 just changed my life. <laughs> and, and I get emotional thinking about it. It was pretty what? special. Like, and I know you were, you were pissed off at the end of it because you didn't get it, but you should get it now. Like that happened for a reason. Yeah. Like I, I just like, I'll be honest, like when I was racing, like I, I did not feel well at all right and I was just like I am just gonna trundle and do what I can and I think I got to the last lap and my body was like nah you that's it you I can't like you can see it on the video like I hardly lift my arms up like and I can hear Brandy shouting but I just thought she was a little bit mad to be honest, like I thought, why is she screaming? Like maybe she's got a shout to like get the power in the wheels and stuff. And I was like, okay, she's a bit like, and then as like that final bit and we come around the corner and you could hear hurt, like the crowd, like it was like being hit by a brick wall. And I thought, right, come on, no, just finish. Like, just, and I, I really think that it was like several years of like emotion just literally my body decided right now's the time to release like everything and I remember like thinking oh my god don't cry now because you need to see where the finish line was like and I could just this noise like and it it was like you know when there's like tons and tons of bees and you just hear buzzing like it was like that and it was just getting louder and louder and louder and then I could see Brandy and I was getting closer to her and I thought, I'm not going that quick. <laughs> like, there's no way I'm catching up to her. And then everything just went a bit of a blur and I, I kind of, everything came out emotionally. And she obviously grabbed me and then was like, you've got bronze, you've got bronze. And I was just like, what? <laughs> what? And she was like, yeah, it's fine. And, and obviously we it transpired that she had a plan all along. and But... <laughs> Like that changed my life because I didn't, 
I didn't realize that I needed that. I didn't need somebody to do something for me that didn't know me and didn't know, um, you know, much about my story or much about me as an individual. And for somebody to be like that and just go, I'm going to give you something that I know will change you. And like, it's crazy because like it, it did like it, it totally flipped a switch of, you know, you've totally got this, um, you know, and, and you, you know, she's now my sister from another mister, um, you know, we talk quite a bit and, and, and text and stuff and, um, you know, we've both had ups and downs since and, and stuff, but, you know, to come home with like that medal and then the hundred meters, I don't know what happened to me, but, I clearly got a shift on and to get another bronze and then then to do the the relay and do you know what like that relay to me is extra special because one we did something that had never been done before um and that that's down to Joe's like epic foresight but also like I so desperately wanted Kelly and Ali to go home with a medal because I also knew what that would do to them you know Kel has has kicked ass for so long and to give her something to say you know Kel you've done something really amazing here you go you know that's kind of that kind of tied the Invictus up to into a really nice bow and to say like it came full circle um and then yeah life's just been a little bit crazy since then and then obviously Endeavour has now become part of Invictus and now I'm working for Invictus so yeah it it's a bit crazy ride <laughs> so that that night of the relay the um it was a pretty special evening and it's I've done three Invictus games and that is one of the standout highlights for me. It was very emotionally charged and seeing the reaction of the four of you was pretty incredible because it it wasn't about the medal, it was about achieving something or, or, or telling you guys that you've achieved something because none of you would none of you realize it so kelly's uh kelly's uh was in the visually impaired category with yeah. um mikhail who's mikhail. a legend yeah legend legend <laughs> um and the struggle and fight that happens every day that medal was just a symbol of a visual symbol for you guys or tactile for kelly um to to know that you you've you've achieved you are achieving because I think without it, there is no symbol to to tell you that you that you are superstars because it feels like it's a grind every day, every day. Yeah, and it was I, and it was incredible. I think also it's it's a symbol of how everybody doesn't need to be put in a box. Like as a society, we love to label people and put them in a little box. So like I'm a wheelchair user. Kelly's visually impaired. You know. Ali's had a stroke, blah, 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 blah. So the relay had four different types of disability, but we all linked up to one main goal. 
and that was to get around the track you know and and so for me it's like it doesn't matter if you're visually impaired you're a wheelchair user look what we did you know we got a band yeah okay it was only around a track but actually you know it's it's that kind of symbol of you know you can do anything given a chance yeah you know they didn't have to agree to that it's you know like you said it'd never been done before but yeah it just well, that, that was the spirit of Invictus I remember being in the meeting with Joe and the proposal went in and no nobody said no everyone was like okay cool it's not necessarily the competition rules but if everyone's agree like and it was it if everyone agrees on this then yeah let's do it why why wouldn't we do it and that that was the spirit of of that competition yes it was competition but it was done it wasn't the olympics it was never supposed to be it was supposed to be to enable and not disable that's what it was there for and and that was behind the scenes albeit on some events it was quite cutthroat and the rules were applied but when they didn't have to be so religiously and brutally applied, they weren't for the benefit of the athletes and everybody involved. And that was the thing that was stood out to me as the most incredible thing. And it was so much fun, you know, it was, it was so much fun to, you know, be on that, that last leg and watch Kelly like run the fastest I've ever seen her run. And then you know, hand off to Debs and then hand off to, I mean, Ali had just run, was it like three races back to back? And then literally storm, like screaming at her, come on. (laughs) And then like, and then off. And, And it didn't matter. Like it generally didn't matter that we didn't get gold. Like, but we would have been fine if we didn't got any get anything but it was the fact that the, the four of us kind of linked in together to kind of and and it, it just was so lovely because like that whole year of us being at athletics training you know seeing everybody's ups and downs like that morning you know Ali was really low about herself and and you know I said to her what will, what is meant to be will be like you will have your moment and like little did I know <laughs> like six o'clock that night or whatever whatever time it was um you know she'd have a moment and and I love it when that photograph pops up on my timeline <laughs> you know to say like it's been two years or it's been three years since this because actually that we, uh, the four of us will always be connected with that so it's definitely moments like that and and that's what I love about Invictus is that it has those moments of sportsmanship but also compassion and also you know everybody shouting for everybody you know um no matter where you're from no matter what your disability is you know shouting and cheering but then ultimately taking the mick like (laughs) you know um but yeah it's it's it is life-changing but I also think it's life-changing for people um who watch it and people who come so like we took my auntie with us um and she she suffered with with mental ill health and um had no connection bar me to the military before and Invictus totally changed her life like she got home and her friends were like what have you done like you're glowing and she was like oh my god I just had like the most amazing time and she got brought into the fold of you know the family of of, of us and yeah like it's it's things like that that you just it's so special and and you know 
people just really want to be part of um he's a um invictus steven's wondering where the puppy is <laughs> he's just by my feet <laughs> um but yeah so i just yeah it's a it's a bug in it you don't ever want to not be not be part of it or not it, be part of that family and it's designed to give a to give an uh like a, an injection into people to kickstart or motivate or focus or a sense of purpose. So what, since Invictus, you say that you are now working with the Endeavor Fund. And so what, can you explain a little bit about the work that you do there? Yeah, so um, so originally, uh, originally started as the Endeavor Fund Program Manager, um, but now we're part of the Invictus Games Foundation. Um, and um, basically um, what that is, is um, we grant fund um, groups of wounded, injured and sick um, to go and do sports and adventurous activities to, to aid their recovery. So previous stuff that we funded is things like um, Team Endeavour Racing, which is powerboats, um, depth therapy, which is um, scuba diving. Um, we've assisted expeditions to North and South Pole. Um, uh, there was a bike ride um, in Australia and one of the sort of most epic trails. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like previously for Endeavour, we were UK focused and, and now being part of Invictus, we're now um, Invictus um, uh, nations focused. So we're kind of hoping to just get that international element and and also you know we're really lucky in the UK of our provisions in terms of for wounded and just sit you know going on expeds and sport we actually want to sort of pick up those countries that maybe don't have that that um sort of ability to have in their own countries so and and take our whiz with their ways to kind of you know mentor them and say right this is what you do but also what we're trying to encourage is those wounded injured sick that have got ideas to then come to us and say like I would really love to organize and then for me to work with them and say okay right this is what we need to do and and then look and then apply to get grant funding um to, to be able to do it so yeah it's a lot of admin <laughs> I don't actually get to do uh, any of these really epic uh, expeditions or stuff but yeah I just I just do all the admin and try to get all the money <laughs> um but yeah I mean it's it's it, it I never thought I'd be doing this like to go from being a survival equipment fitter you know to now being sort of you know grants program manager <laughs> you know you know fully in about sport and and expeditions like yeah it's it's a bit crazy <laughs> so what's next for you what have you got on the horizon uh, well hopefully team uk getting back to face-to-face -to -face co uh, coaching soon because so i'm quite looking forward to getting back up to loughborough to do some do some coaching with the wheelchair guys um I've got a couple of 10K races um, to do. I've put my name down to do a marathon, which will be the longest I've ever done in my wheelchair. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, I think like, I just think I need to enjoy life, like keep enjoying life. Like Steve had like two years of me and my sport being a sole focus of our marriage. And <laughs> um, so actually I think, you know, now we're just kind of just 
yeah just keep happy and healthy and you know keep promoting sport as a tool um for for you know injury illness and recovery and and say to people you know even if you're having a bad day just go outside just go for a walk you know take up you don't have to run you don't have to take up ice hockey or para ice hockey or, or netball or anything but yeah just being outside and giving yourself um time to you know space and happiness oh amazing mate i've really 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 enjoyed talking to you you are felt weird <laughs> why is that i don't know like it's just it, it's funny like because i just I never it's that whole thing isn't it of so if you say something like will anybody care or will it any will it impact anybody and and I think you know especially from the whiz community you're you're so used to seeing the the conversations about the guys who've been blown up or you know who have these like epic stories I think because you know you, you don't have that epic story you just wonder like will anybody right, want to well, listen to me let me let me tell you this right now <laughs> and make it absolutely clear <laughs> that your story is pretty epic make no make no mistake about that it's not comparable with anybody else other than you and you know yeah, that yeah yeah you know that and you don't what I find really fascinating about you is that you don't realize you genuinely don't realize how good you are it's and it's sometimes annoying because you're like oh I just want to but you don't realize around the face. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna admit that. But you don't realize how good you are. You really don't. And your bad days are other people's all right days. But you're still cracking on. And, yeah. And and I think you give yourself a hard time. Too much of a hard time. Yeah, you, you're you, definitely you, right. You've got an. You've got an amazing husband there who, I have. you know and you've got so much like what you're so positive it's it's inspiring to listen to the way that you talk about the things that you've been through and how you're going to continue to do great things and you will and you will continue to do that is it going to be easy no of course it's not going to be easy what do they say anything worth achieving is never easy so you know I just I think you know I think part of you and I are cut from the same cloth in terms of we can't say no, but also, you know, we need to give ourselves a little break sometimes to say, you know, it's all right to have a down day, but just don't have too many down days to the point where you then get like, never get back up. Um, but is it, yeah. it's like I've said to you, you just, you just got to be a little bit kinder to yourself. That's all. And, it, and it's and it's easier said than done make no mistake I'm not I'm not going to say it's easy but you you got to be a little bit kinder to yourself definitely and I need to do that as well yeah I think it's even little things like I must I think like it doesn't have to be that big thing does it like I, I bought some books the other day because I haven't bought a new book in ages so I thought oh I'm going to buy a new book and I sat there and read it and I was like, oh my God, that was so good. And like, Steve was like, oh, you were smiling away to yourself. <laughs> and it was like something little like that, or, you know, you buy a new face cream or whatever. But I think like everyone assumes that it's got to be something massive, doesn't it? It's got to be a lifestyle change or, you know, it doesn't. Just, just little things. Hair dye. 
haircut. Like his lordship on the golf range this morning, you know? Yeah, like his lordship. Oh, I can't stand golf. I hate it. Um, but yeah, um, but do you know what though? Like, that's been a long time coming, him doing something for himself. So, and and I, I truly thank you for that's his great. kick up the ass. That's great. <laughs> that's all great, mate. But mate, thank you very much for taking the time no, this morning. No, thank you for hopefully it. there's at least something you can use. Behave. Less of that talk. <laughs> Try not to like, yeah, dub me. Yeah, here's a here's a little annoying happy one or something. Like five seconds long, that's it. This <laughs> yeah, is a podcast, five seconds. Hello. But yeah. Uh, Helen, Helen's was good and um, I can't remember the athletic fella. His was dead Elliot. good. Like Elliot, yeah, his was yeah. really good. Like um, he was quite a coy swears a lot, didn't he? Like <laughs> I was like, oh, potty mouth. But yeah, he, he was, that was that was really good. Like, and again, like I think with him when he said about being from where you're brought up and then changing your situation. Like I think everyone has that capability. You don't have to be happy with a hand you've been dealt. Like you know, he's he's a prime example of that. I'm a prime example of that. So yeah awesome yeah cool well listen don't be a stranger can you let me know when you're pushing this out yeah we'll so do. i can I hide for like we'll <laughs> i'll be like no <laughs> no one's listened to it <laughs> um and yeah and i really look seriously get some good content from joe mcd because that is going to be epic you could make a whole self-help book from that my roomie in sydney <laughs> my god Mate, thanks a lot. <laughs> no, no, right. I'll speak soon. I love you loads. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast channel for updates on new releases. And why not leave a review on your podcast provider and follow us on Instagram on the at Can't Can Will page to show your support. Thanks, legends. Thanks, legends.